Great. So, yeah, last week we started this series called Fearless. Hannah read Psalm 23 um, earlier, which is, is the part of the Bible that we're going to study over the next few weeks. Um, we've called this series Fearless with the tagline of lessons in peace and freedom. And the reason we've done that is because there is an epidemic of fear in our world and in our lives as well. And we need peace and freedom desperately. I don't think any of us would deny that. Our city needs it. Edinburgh needs it. Our world needs it. We need it. And we need it to last as well. We really need it to last. But it doesn't always seem to. You know, we have like these glimpses of it. Glimpses of peace, glimpses of freedom. But sometimes they seem like they're kind of fleeting. But why doesn't it last? It's frustrating, isn't it? Why doesn't it last? I think because so often the actions and reactions that we take to fear in, in this world are without solid foundation. And so they crumble. But this book... This book that we read here in church and everywhere else as well, the Bible, the words of this, this little psalm, it's not very long, it's very short. They offer us something of this foundation that we are in desperate need of. So um, over this evening and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what, what it has to say to us. What does it offer to us? What does the Bible offer to us? What does this little psalm offer to us? And not just what does it offer, but who does it offer? Who do we meet in that place? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We're just going to look at those verses tonight, just those first couple of verses, because there is a fear epidemic in our world. We are saturated in a fearful way of living. We live in a fear-based culture. I mean, look to the media, look to politics. You don't have to look far, you just have to open Twitter I was, I was thinking about this this week um, as well. If you, if you cast your mind back a few weeks to when we were not basking in the beautiful sunshine, beautiful Scottish sunshine. I mean, it's not that hot, but it's like, it's fine. You know, we deal with it. It's the best we can get. Um, but if you cast your mind back to when we were under a blanket of snow, first big snow of 2018, the beast from the east, as we like to fondly refer to it. I don't know about you, but um, was anyone else like not really ever aware of snow warnings before? And then all of a sudden it was like red, red, it's a red snow warning, guys. It's amber later on. You know, and all of a sudden it was like this thing. And I was thinking, I was like, when did anyone else learn about like snow warnings? Did I miss that class? Like, I don't seem to really know about it, but I have to pretend like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, whoa, red snow warning. It's super scary. You know, but we kind of, we got a little bit obsessed with it. Didn't, didn't we? Because it was like, it's a red snow warning. We all have to go home. We have to go home. We have to leave work and we have to go home right now. They're shutting everything. And on the way home, you have to buy up all the bread. Even if you don't really eat bread, you have to buy it all. 
even if you're like gluten-free, just buy all that bread, man, and then leave the shelves empty for days, and everyone gets really obsessed with it. Well, what drove that? I mean, apart from like a deep-seated desire for a snow day, which was great, oh, so good. What drove it? Fear. Fear, on some level, fear. Donald Trump can be relied upon for an abundance of material these days, um, but he has weaponized fear. He's turned it into a weapon. The world is very bad, the bad people are everywhere, and you should be afraid of this horrible mess that we're in. But it's not just him, and it's not just America. Throughout the Brexit campaign, both sides of the debate dealt almost solely in fear-based, scaremongering leadership. And it's not just recent, either. This has been going on for a long time. The former US President Richard Nixon said, people react to fear, not love. Isn't that terrible? People react to fear, not love. Go back even further to Machiavelli, the Italian philosopher, a few hundred years back. He said this, upon this a question arises, whether it be better to be feared than loved, or loved than feared. One should wish to be both, but because it is difficult to unite them in one person, it is much safer to be feared than to be loved. It is much safer to be feared than to be loved. There is a fear epidemic in our world. It's been going on for a long time. It is deeply embedded. And our drive in that, our drive for self-awareness and self-help and self-development is our way of rallying against it, trying to fix the problem. Now, don't hear me wrong. It's not, it is not wrong to be afraid. And it's not wrong to try and do something about it either. Plenty of things warrant us being afraid. And there are plenty of amazing resources that help us deal with it when we are. But it doesn't deter from this reality. I am not living a life totally free of fear. It would be a downright lie to say that I was. Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently. Really into them. Does anyone else like podcasts? Yep, one hand. Great. That's going to, okay, we've got a few more. Excellent, great. So one thing I have noticed that um, I think it's maybe something that happens to you when you get a little bit older. I'm not that old, but um, I am in my, I'm nearly 30 now. And uh, something that I have noticed that has happened in the last few years is that I really like listening to people talk rather than like listening to music all the time. I still enjoy listening to music, but I, it's like the graduation to Radio 4. It's like the sweet comfort of a woman's hour. Love it. It's great. It's really nice. Really nice to just listen to people talk to you. I really, I really enjoy it. So if you are not there yet, then look forward to it, guys, because it's great. Really, really enjoying it. But So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And I was listening to one recently. It wasn't specifically, she wasn't talking really about fear at all, but um, she was talking about how she'd been to this intensive um, like therapy residential thing in the US. Um, she wasn't in crisis, but she just knew that there were some things in her life that weren't quite adding up that she was dealing with and that she wanted to sort out and she wanted um, to address because they were holding her back. And she said um, that going into it, 
one of her greatest fears was that someone would confirm for her that all the negative things that she feels about herself are actually true. That where she fears she is too much, that this time would confirm for her that she was right all along. And you know, that hit me really hard because I realized when she said that, that I have the same fear. I think we all do, you know? We're scared. We're scared that we might find out that the things that we fear to be true about ourselves, the negative things that we don't like about ourselves, that we're not smart enough or we're not attractive enough or we're too much to handle, we're scared to find out that they might actually be true. And then everyone else knew and they were just waiting for us to catch up. Fear, fear has a strong grip. Fear, it's a valid emotion. It is a valid emotion, but it is a manipulative emotion as well. And as a culture of fear becomes a norm for us, as we are bombarded with reasons to be afraid, there are a couple of things that we seem to do by default. The first is that we feed our fear. We feed our fear and simultaneously we try desperately to pacify it. Some big world event happens and each of us scuttle down our own media rabbit holes. I mean, in our lives, how many of us have done that thing that you should 100% not do and Google your symptoms bad idea. Don't do it. We feed our fear. We feed our fear by worry, by worrying about every possible outcome, having imaginary arguments and explosive conversations in the shower, which always end badly, don't they? I mean, you say some great things there. Pity you can't say them in real life, but you say some great things in the shower. But you, they always end badly. You end up breaking up or you know, getting fired or being demoted or somebody finding you out, losing a friend, whatever. Because we're covering. We're covering ourselves. We're covering every possible distressing outcome. So we're covering our bases just in case. We're feeding our fear. And the more we welcome and entertain that fear and feed it the scraps from the table of our lives, we at the same time are trying to find ways to escape it to pacify its demanding narratives and its niggling pokes at our lives. We pacify our fear. You say how you're feeling on Facebook, you share an opinion, tweet something, it's probably hilarious. Most of the time it's not that big a deal. You know, I like social media as much as the next person, but deep down, and sometimes not so deep down, we have this intense need to pacify our fear of not being enough by seeking the gratification of others. How do I know that? I am a self-proclaimed expert. You know, I post something on Instagram and the amount of times that I open it up and then I go back in just to see how many people have liked it or how many people have seen it, how many people know what I'm doing. It's embarrassing, it is. And my fear of not being enough is pacified whenever I see that someone has responded to something that I have put out there. I let it dictate to me, people like you, 
it's okay, don't worry, you're interesting. You're good at this, you're good at that. And my fear then is rallied and jolted into action whenever nobody responds or when I don't get as many likes as I think I should. I know that sounds kind of sad and maybe it's not social media for you, but whatever it is, everybody does it. Everybody does it. It's the same thing, maybe different mediums, but it's the same thing. You know, a recent study showed that Instagram is um, the, the social media platform that is most detrimental to young people's mental health. It is enemy number one for young people's mental health. And that's the thing that we're opening again and again and again. I would dread to think how many times I have checked it today. And it's the thing that is most detrimental to young people's mental health. We are all guilty of feeding our fear and we are expert fear pacifiers because we live in a fear-based culture. We have made ourselves at home in fear. We're just covering our bases, don't you know? Even in church, even if you're a Christian here, we are still prone to that fear culture. And, And we fear ultimately because we wonder if we can trust God to do his job well. That thing that Machiavelli said, I quoted it at the beginning. It's interesting whenever you look at that to see what he didn't say. So he didn't say that it would be better to be feared than loved. He didn't say that being feared will render more power, more results, or more influence. No, he said it's safer to be feared than to be loved. Safer. Fear and love seem to be the two options here. And the goal is safety. And it's kind of the same for us, isn't it? You know, we want, we want love, connection, belonging, the knowledge that we're enough, we want to be known but we find ourselves battling through fear to find all of those things, feeding it and pacifying it, all in the quest for safety. What do you do whenever your, your quest for peace and for freedom, safety, wading through your fears, leads you not to the better place that you thought it would, but rather to the end of yourself, to the very end of yourself? What do you do then? If safety is our goal, then we need a safe place. If safety is the goal, then we need a savior. We need a shepherd. Living fearless is not about ridding yourself of all your fear. It's about how you live in the midst of your fear. So let's look to that that psalm, those first couple of verses, because it offers us a way of living in peace and living in freedom while we're still dealing with the fear that we all have in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want it's two things, two things that we learn there from that very first line. The first is that we have a shepherd. 
And the second is that we are provided for. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. As we recognize our fear and move towards living free from it, living in peace and in freedom, what does it mean that we have a shepherd? What does it mean that we have a shepherd? Why a shepherd? I think because in the midst of our fear, we're not looking for a solution or an answer or a formula or, you know, a new book or a blog that's going to help us know how to live better. Really, what we're looking for is a person. We are looking for somebody. We might not express it as such, but I think what we're looking for is a shepherd, a guide. A guide who cares. And that's what a shepherd does. This shepherd narrative, it runs actually, there's no coincidence that this is um, the way David expresses this because it, it runs right through scripture. It's really familiar. All the Old Testament big players, like the Old Testament patriarchs, they were all shepherds Abraham and Moses and Jacob and David, who wrote the Psalm. They were all shepherds. There are loads of references throughout the Bible to God being like a shepherd. And Jesus was called the good shepherd, the one who would shepherd his flock. And alongside that, the people of God, they're often referred to as sheep. There are so many different parts of the Bible that talk about the people of God being like sheep. So that that tells us something. There's something in that metaphor. It tells us something about God and it tells us something about us. Shepherds are, are strong. They are selfless. A good shepherd is uncompromising in the care of their charges. Because the deepest, most pressing needs of their charges cannot be met apart from the shepherd. Water, food, shelter, survival. A shepherd will spend themselves for their sheep. In this psalm, the way that the word shepherd is structured in the Hebrew, it makes it more likely to translate as the Lord is shepherding me. The Lord is shepherding me. So that shows us that it is a continual thing. It's ongoing. It's something that is committed to and then continued in. And that is what God does with us. He sees us stuck in the middle of our fear our anxiety, our struggles, our worries, our lack of stuff. And he commits himself to a continual, ongoing shepherding of us. As we crave safety and belonging and understanding and freedom and peace, we have a shepherd whose role, whose responsibility And whose desire is to shepherd us, to take care of us. And when we place the shepherd as our focus, 
it, it takes away some of that impulse that we spring to to feed our fear and our desire to pacify it because the focus has shifted. So where is your focus right now? Today, as you come here, where is your focus? Is it on your fear? Maybe it is, and you might say quite rightly so. Or is it on the things that you use to pacify it? Is that where your focus is? Imagine for a minute, even if it seems impossible, that your focus was on the shepherd. What if your focus was on Jesus? What would that do? What difference would that make? There are uh, lots of names given to God in the Old Testament. Um, they mean lots of different things. And, and we actually see some of them reflected here in this psalm. They help us um, understand who God is. They solidify us the known and unshakable character of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other translations, it says things like, um, I lack nothing, I have all that I need, I have more than enough. So in a culture of fear where our lack and our uncertainty and our insecurity can sometimes seem to call the shots, it is made plain to us here. When we look to the shepherd When we look to Jesus, despite our circumstances, despite our fears, we can know safety and we have all that we need. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. That's what that means. It is in his name. We can know safety. And we have all that we need. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, cool, that seems really nice. But what about whenever you have like real pressing needs? It is all very well to have a shepherd and say, I'll have all that I need. But what about whenever I don't get all that I need? What about whenever I don't get all that I need or I want? What about when I feel lack incredibly keenly through illness or through rejection or whatever else. What then? Well, this is not a series of lessons in how to get what you want and what to do when it doesn't work out. This is a series of lessons in peace and in freedom. Carl often says that your felt need is not always your greatest need. So we're not diminishing the importance of our desires or our wants or our needs, but we are challenging ourselves to a shift in focus. We want to learn lessons in peace and freedom because it is peace and freedom that we so desperately need. That is our greatest need because you cannot do much if you are bound and you will run yourself into the ground if you're not peaceful. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
and he leads me by still waters. The Lord is your shepherd and he is not idle. He spends himself for his sheep. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Carl spoke about that last week, this being the place of of vulnerability and of, of surrender, that when we lie down, we are defenseless. And we're also at rest. We stop. But he also leads us. He leads us by still waters. That word lead could more accurately be translated uh, to something like gently and carefully leading another and providing protection and sustenance. So this shepherd of ours, in the very place, in the very place where we are feeling or flailing, gently leads us and protects us and sustains us. The still waters that he leads us to are a place of rest and of renewal, a place to drink deeply of something that we really need. Because Jesus always addresses the deepest needs that we have. He always addresses our greatest need. In uh, the New Testament, in the book of John, which is one of the books that talks about Jesus' life and gives us an account of it, um, he has, Jesus has this encounter with a woman at a well. She's there um, on her own to draw some water. Jesus comes along, asks her for a drink. He's a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. It doesn't really mean much to us these days, but back in those days, that was like a big no-no Men and women didn't really talk, never mind if you were Jewish and a Samaritan. That was just like, let's not, because this is going to be awkward. They have a bit of a scuffle about the audacity of the situation. And they also have a bit of a chat about how silly it is that Jesus appears to have come to the well looking for a drink, but has nothing to draw it with. And in the midst of all of this, he says this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We will only find the thing that will truly satisfy us when we place ourselves in the shadow of the shepherd. Our thirst, whatever it is, will only be satisfied by drawing on him. Every thirst, every longing, every need satisfied. And not because we got what we wanted or even what we so desperately needed. But because we got who we needed. We got who we needed. Our safety is only found in his love for us, which is demonstrated through his provision for us. And we can find there, this is an incredible thing that we find there, that where we would rush to feed our fear, 
And worry would furiously try to pacify it by any means possible. We find that this shepherd of ours, Jesus, he comes and he turns all of that on its head. Where we feed our fear, he feeds our spirits. He feeds our souls. He feeds the deepest part of us, renews us at our core where we would pacify our fear through distraction, he pacifies our lives. That word pacify it makes, means make peaceful. He makes peaceful our lives. And ultimately, through giving himself on the cross for us, he made peace a possibility for us. And he still holds the authority to remove any obstacle blocking our freedom. The Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need. I think that there's, there's something else for us here as well. This, this notion of, of lying down and of being led. It's kind of suggestive of, of two different attitudes or postures for us to assume. So when we're lying down, we are surrendering our control. We are relinquishing control and assuming stillness. Because lying down, in case you didn't know, is stationary. Lying down requires us to be still. It requires us to stop. We're surrendering our control. And when we're being led by him, we are surrendering our agendas Surrendering to his direction, to his way, not our own. You see, being led is suggestive of movement. It requires action. Following the lead of the shepherd requires us to put one foot in front of the other, whether literally or metaphorically. There is an action for us to take here. Following the shepherd doesn't put the brakes on us doing stuff or going after stuff. It just changes our perspective on it. So then we have an opportunity. Sure, we live in a fear-based culture. Our world has an epidemic of fearful living that is manifesting itself in all sorts of harmful ways. But that is not the only truth that we are operating with here. In fact, it's not even anywhere near the most powerful truth. Just because we live in a fear-based culture doesn't mean to say that we have to indulge it. We can counter fear in our lives and in our communities and in our families. If we're choosing to follow the shepherd, then we are aligning ourselves with his way of doing things. In surrendering our agendas to him, we're not left in a a dearth of purpose. We get to assume his purpose, his agenda for our world. We have a choice. There is a responsibility offered to us to take up if we want to. And I believe that it's all part of this journey towards peace and towards freedom. Because that is a place where fear doesn't get the final word. 
I mean, sure, we will all still have fears and struggles. We will still battle things in our lives and in our, in our minds. But fear doesn't have to have the final say. We are offered something much more secure to build our lives on here. A foundation that will not crumble. True rest. True rest. And complete fulfillment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. And this is not only a truth that's just for us either. This is not just personal, introspective, I have to figure out my fear. This is a truth for our city. This is a truth for Edinburgh. This is a truth for our communities. This is a a truth for the places where fear seems to rule the roost. So we get to declare it. As we assume this truth, we take hold of it and use it. We get to declare it and pray it and dare to believe it. Declare it over our young people's mental health. That fear won't have the final word. Over our own mental health. Over loneliness in our city. Over our neighbor who is ill. Over a loved one who is struggling. Over families in crisis. Over poverty. Whatever it is. This is not just a truth for us. But this is something that we can take hold of and declare and see it bear fruit so that fear doesn't have to have the final word. So where do you need to declare this truth tonight? Where do you need to declare this truth? Maybe it is in your own life or maybe it's a particular place or a certain person. Maybe you're aware that you have fed your fear. Maybe you know all the ways you try to pacify it. Maybe you've let fear have the final say. Come to the shepherd. Come to the shepherd who has spent himself for you. For every one of you. Who will provide your greatest needs. Surrender your control to him. Let him lay you down. Surrender your agendas to him as hard as that might be. Let him lead you. Assume his ways. There is an opportunity for us here this evening because the Lord is our shepherd. So we will not be in want because he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. Let's pray.
Jesus, we come to you as shepherd. Whether we have known that for a long time, whether we are used to coming to you as shepherd, or whether this is the first time that we have come to you as shepherd. We want to come to you as the shepherd tonight because you are full of power and possibility. But you are also full of kindness and compassion. And you have spent yourself for us. You have given everything for us, for our peace and for our freedom. And you are not done working. So God, will you help us to be people who declare this truth over ourselves and over this city and over the people that we love and the places that we're called to. And where we have fed our fear, will you help us to let you feed us instead? Where we have pacified our fear, we invite you to come and make peaceful our lives. Where we have let fear have the final say, we ask for another story tonight. This is from Psalm 34. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So we pray to you tonight, God, knowing that you will answer us and that you will free us from all our fears.